Hello, and thank you for tuning into Answers from the Lab, where we share Mayo Clinic knowledge and advancements on the state of testing and science from laboratory leaders and the people who are making it happen behind the scenes. I'm Dr. Bobby Pritt, the Chair of the Division of Clinical Microbiology in the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. With me today is Dr. Bill Maurice, the Chair of the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology at Mayo Clinic and the President of Mayo Clinic Laboratories. This is our weekly discussion with Dr. Maurice in which we learn about updates in the field of laboratory medicine and pathology. Hi, Bill, welcome back. Hi, Bobby, it's good to be back. Certainly the world keeps turning, particularly as it pertains to COVID. It sure has. There's been a lot going on, a lot in the news, um, Omicron surges across the country, some new news from the White House. What have you been hearing? Well, it's interesting. I still participate in this global effort called the Accelerated COVID Tool Diagnostics to get tests out there available across the globe, particularly in low and middle income countries. And so I was on a call last week where there's some really interesting presentations by the WHO just looking at data globally on Omicron as it has spread. And a couple of things really stood out. Number one, just about every area of the globe except for Africa is seeing this incredibly steep, I think stupendous was the word that was used or stupefying increase mm. in COVID cases just straight up in terms of positivity. And the hope is that it's less virulent, but how much less virulent, we don't really know. Surprisingly, a couple of surprises out of there. Number one, it has become the dominant strain in every part of the globe, just like in the US where it has appeared. It's, and there was a thought that maybe there would just be a slower transition from Omicron to Delta or some kind of equilibrium. That's not been the case. The graphs are quite amazing in terms of just boom, Omicron is now the dominant strain. The other is there was a lot of talk about antigen tests because that group has been very mm -hmm. focused on antigen tests as a deployable and expensive test for COVID. Of course, there's been concerns or FDA came out and said that some of the test sensitivities might be affected by Omicron because the spike protein is different. So it has quite a few differences from the original Wuhan strain of COVID. Uh, they did a comparison and they showed that most of the antigen tests, in fact, all the ones they tested, still had sensitivity. There was a little bit of a loss maybe and specimens that had a, a CT higher than 30 by PCR, mm -hmm. so those with lower load maybe wouldn't be picked up. But really, they found good concordance between, and particularly in symptomatic individuals, if the CT was higher than, or excuse me, lower than 30. To me, that was quite helpful because I know there's been a lot of concern. And now this week, there's going to be a ton of interest in antigen tests for COVID. Yeah, you know, that's a great point. I've seen those studies. We should talk about antigen tests a little bit because of what we're now seeing with more increased availability through the White House, and they're investing a lot in antigen tests and making them available. Now, the antigen tests, just as a refresher for everyone, is one of our tools for detecting acute disease, and it could also potentially be used for uh, helping people feel comfortable going back to work, still using masking and other precautions, but after a certain window, when they're no longer symptomatic, having a negative antigen test could be one more reassuring piece that they could go back to work and be safe as long as they're using other precautions. It is interesting, though, as we've talked before, and we had uh, Dr. Brad Karen on uh, one of our previous calls, they're not as sensitive as PCR. And in fact, there was a study, it's a preprint still, but it came out of some investigators in New York City and Yale, where they found that people with Omicron may not be positive in the first couple days of infection while they are PCR positive. So I think that also shows that antigen tests are useful when they're used sequentially, maybe not just a single one in one point in time, but over a period of days, or of course, if you're symptomatic. 
Yes, it's exactly. Just, I think that's yeah. part of the, it'll be interesting to see how much is shared from CDC and other public health policy decision makers who are going to be making the antigen tests available. You know, that's part of the, the theory is that if you make them easily available mm -hmm. and less expensive, then you can have multiple tests, which will help overcome some of the sensitivity issues. I think they have a role personally. And as a, for instance, I have had a symptomatic upper respiratory tract infection. I had a negative PCR up front, but my symptoms continued to get worse. So I did two antigen tests just to be sure they were negative. So I felt pretty confident I didn't have COVID. And I did that because I know from the numbers, I mean, we are literally we are doing record numbers of PCR COVID tests here mm -hmm. in the Midwest. And so it's a real strain on the system. So if I had an alternate tool that wouldn't contribute to that, that's why I felt comfortable using it. So I think they will be part, particularly as we get through this. Now, the question will be, will they be available in time to really make a meaningful impact on the Omicron surge we're seeing? Because it does look like there's a very rapid rise and a very rapid fall. But mm -hmm. I think it will be good for us to have these tools available because we don't know what comes next after this. I'm sorry to hear you weren't feeling well, Bill. Are you feeling better now? I am. I, I, have I mean, to... you look great. You look nice and bright and chipper. <laughs> the worst of it was on Thursday. I was working from home, but I had a few media engagements, including being on the radio. Uh, Manuka Honey was suggested to me. I don't know if you know anything about that as a microbiologist. Oh, yes. I was just voice. looking at that. Yummy, too. Oh, yeah, indeed. After that, I lost my voice, which oh. around my house, but it actually might have been, some people might have appreciated that. Anyways, but no, I'm feeling better. <laughs> Thankfully, I'm on the mend. Well, you know, I'm glad to hear you're feeling better. And this brings up a couple of good points, too. First of all, there are other respiratory viruses that are circulating. And last week, Dr. Benninger and I talked about influenza. You know, we have influenza. We have RSV, respiratory syncytial virus. We have even just the common cold due to other coronaviruses circulating. So I would say you did what was best. You stayed home, work from home if you feel better, but you feel like you're still symptomatic. I hope that becomes the new normal, that people aren't coming in when they're symptomatic and potentially spreading it to others, especially now, but in the future as well. For me, it was actually very glad that we had the tools available, right? That I could mm -hmm. continue to work. I didn't feel like I couldn't work. I just feel, felt like I didn't want to expose people to whatever I had, even if it wasn't COVID. And so, and I do think it speaks to the fact that these respiratory viruses are circulating again, puts more strain on the system. I, I know you probably discussed with Dr. Vinegar last week, just the volumes of influenza testing going up because I think there's a lot of people probably like me that have a respiratory illness that are negative for COVID. So then the question mm -hmm. is, what is it? The more that we can protect ourselves, I did everything, I distanced and masked. It, it's just, you got to be careful, especially when community transmission of COVID itself is high. But anything we can do to keep ourselves safe is really important. Yeah. Well, that makes me think of three separate things. First of all, wouldn't it be cool if we had a little antigen test at home where you could find out what exactly you did have, maybe future opportunity there. Second, it was great that you had availability to those antigen tests so you didn't have to go to the emergency department. And that is one thing that they are really stressing is that our emergency departments are really stressed right now with people who have symptomatic COVID with serious symptoms. So going in, if you're just mildly symptomatic is not a good idea because you're still infectious, you could spread it to other people. And, and plus they just don't have the staffing. But then also, I think the third thing I should mention is, of course, if someone did have COVID and they start having serious problems, being able to breathe, their lips and fingers turning blue, that's the time to go to the emergency room. So even if we do have all these 
great tools. Let's say in the future, we have a nice little test that could tell you if you have the common cold or RSV or influenza, you still have to take care of yourself and know when to seek professional help. Yep. And I think that will be a lot of what we in the laboratory world will be asked to do, because I think you're right uh, that the paradigm we've talked about will shift, you know, where maybe school systems, universities, where, you know, there's a lot of places where outbreaks of infectious disease have had negative ramifications. And I think we'll, we'll learn that we have, we'll now have a system to help keep people from spreading what they have essentially, mm -hmm. right? So how do you use it? And then how do you have the knowledge that goes with it to help right. someone decide what to do? because we're mostly used to getting that information from our doctor or our provider. So I think that's going to be a real need for us to stay in laboratory medicine, to stay really engaged with this. A big part of what we do right now is educating providers. Well, we'll have to start to educate the public educate as patients. these tools and patients as these become more available. Well, it's good, I guess, that we've gotten a lot of experience with that during the pandemic being there and visible to the general public and providing information to the public. So I think that's a great role for laboratorians. We need to keep doing that. That's right. And I guess maybe you have to keep a jar of Manuka honey handy. If yes, that too. Mother, I do have a jar of honey. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I will end with one other piece of good news. According to the CDC's COVID tracker, Almost 80%, 79.6% of people ages five or older have received at least one dose of their vaccine. So we're almost at 80% of people getting at least that first dose. And that's promising news. That's great. And we just need to get through this. I know it's a rough time. You know, here in Rochester, we've had to go back to mask mandates and things. And so, look, we're all tired of it. People getting vaccinated will help us get through this. And I can't predict the future, but maybe this Omicron wave will be last hurrah let's keep our fingers crossed yeah fingers yeah. crossed all right bill well we'll talk to you next week all right sounds great thank you so much for tuning in to answers from the lab be sure to subscribe to this podcast and don't forget to tune in every thursday and every other tuesday